Welcome to Shared Instance, a podcast on iOS development by three iOS developers in Cincinnati, Ohio. I'm Sam Corder. I'm Alex Argo. And I'm Alex Robinson. This is episode 146. All right, guys, welcome back again. It is a scorcher outside. I'm glad that I'm inside in a nice, nice, cool recording studio, aka my home office. I was say, how'd you get a recording studio? That sounds pretty cool. <laughs> That'd be pretty professional. So yeah, I don't have that. <laughs> so how's everything going? Are we happy with uh, all the new betas that we've been getting? Anyway, tried out Mojave yet? Not Mojave. Uh, iOS, yes. And that's been very stable for me. Actually wondering how they're going to stretch that out till until September. <laughs> Beta, beta 2 has actually been kind of buggy for me, and hopefully by the time this podcast goes out, we'll have a, a Beta 3, but we might not because it's going to be a, the July 4th holiday for us in the U.S. this week, so as we record. So maybe not, but I've had I've had some odd crashing and like crashing to springboard type stuff happening on my on my phone. And of course, after I got that, I decided to update my laptop to Mojave, although that's been fine. Um, Mojave has actually been better than High Sierra was on the laptop that I updated on, so... Eh. <laughs> yeah, I I had a springboard crash uh, maybe once or twice, so not terrible. Uh, definitely, definitely one of their more stable releases so far. Yeah, overall, I'd say betas are still looking pretty good, but beta 1 was better than beta 2 for me. And I don't see a great reason to install it on, say, a non-iPhone 10 device. But yeah, otherwise, it's pretty good. I, what if you What if you want to do like make NS user activities or Siri, whatever stuff? I mean, I Siri shortcuts. I, Siri shortcuts. I mean, I that's the one thing that I think we may implement for our app that we don't have right now is using NS user activity to first some actions in our app just to kind of get free OS level advertisement for our apps, if you will, like have <laughs> Siri suggest people to play a single player game or play a multiplayer game for our apps. And I think that's probably like a pretty low, low cost, um, probably high reward thing that most apps could probably easily do. So that's a interesting thought. So it would be something like, Hey Siri, I want to play uh, whatever. That stupid phone. <laughs> <laughs> no, so I'm not talking about. So like, you know, previously you had these Siri suggestions. Um, you know, like you would open up your phone and it would be like, oh, maybe you should open this app. You know, there was always like a list of four apps or whatever at the top of your the, the screen when you swipe left from the home screen. Like yeah. Siri suggestions for apps. So now. Um, like Siri will suggest based on the activities that you do, you know, various activities within your app. Uh, the, they also, if NS user activity shows up in search results. So if you search for something and you have an NS user activity, uh, it, it could show up there too. So uh, basically, like if you use NS user activity for stuff in your app, um, Siri will start suggesting it multiple uh places in the OS. Uh, and you can create a shortcut for it if you want to, but it, it to me it's more for like the automatic 
suggestions from Siri to, hey, do this thing in in my app would be the reason to implement it. I don't I can't see a lot of people, you know, making a Siri shortcut themselves. But if you I mean, all you have to do is implement NS user activity, uh, which is an API that's been around since like iOS nine. And you'll start get those like recommendations popping up. So, yeah. So your idea might be a just random use case. Like if somebody's always playing your games on the subway, you would want Siri to eventually pick that up and then just kind of like somebody opens their phone on their commute home. It'll be like, they... yeah, like join this play a rated multiplayer game in solitaire as a NS user activity that I created as they were doing that. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, I think, I think that's, like I said, it's pretty easy to implement and you basically like just get free in OS ads for your app essentially. So I don't think there's much downside just throwing some NS user activities around. <laughs> no, it's fine. Yeah, you're right. It's not going to really hurt anything. Or like you have some type of list app or something, you know, just create an NS user activity when you're adding something to a list and you open your phone at a certain time, be like, Hey, add an item to your list or who knows what, but yeah, I mean, it could be anything. Like mm -hmm. I've noticed find my friends has been suggesting to me, like, uh, I open my phone and it'll be like, find location of person X or whatever. Um, because I think Apple implemented NS user activity and find my friends. So each time you would tap on a person, that's an NS user activity. Uh, and now that it surfaces that through a suggestion. So like my my kid is coming home on the bus. I do find my friends to check if he's left school yet frequently at the end of the day. Um, so now Siri will suggest if I open my phone, you know, around the time that his school is over, it'll be like, find your son or whatever. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty good idea, I think, just for resurfacing your app, which is always important. And not always easy to do either. Yeah, people don't like using their, <laughs> or they download apps and then they just never use them. It's hard to to get that attention share from people. So yeah, you want to form habits. People aren't going to do them do it themselves, and you need to kind of spur them along sometimes. Okay, well that's one good use for sure. It's not something I like the way you're thinking about it. Cause that's not something I would have immediately thought about but yeah i mean if you're an end user yeah i don't know there's much reason right now unless you have like an iphone 10 to install the beta unless you want to just try out the new stuff but <laughs> <laughs> there's apis <to> implement <laughs> they're useful for almost all apps there's yeah. just some other like bigger headlines that kind of you know kind of overshadowed some of this stuff i wish app companies would have more like public beta sign up forms because you know way back when they first started doing extensions in what iOS nine and like, you know, one password was right there. They, they had their post about having a one, one password Safari extension. I'm like, this was back in early July. I'm like, man, I've got to wait three months to be able to even try this out. So it'd be nice if companies had more like public betas that people could sign up for, but I, totally understand why they wouldn't want that extra headache. It seems like every, well, it seems like every year Apple makes it more reasonable to, to have public betas. I mean, 
it was a couple years ago you were limited to like 50 devices now we then we got a thousand now we have like two thousand i'm not sure if they raise the limit again this year um but yeah it's it's getting more reasonable to be able to just open it up and now you just have to give them a link you put a link out there and they they sign up automatically you don't have to do that whole uh send an invite and then they have to accept the invite rigmarole so apple's doing its best to to make beta testing stuff easier which will i think in turn make developers want to to do open betas more often yeah, it's getting better totally i definitely agree but that uh, as a if i was a small de- in a small development shop i definitely wouldn't want to mess with that and even in a large development shop i'm not as an app developer i'm not too keen on doing that but as a publicity stunt to get you to buy my next product i would be much more receptive yeah well, I'm I'm hoping that one password beta comes out any day now. Though I'm with you. <laughs> <laughs> Is it the one password seven? I think we're already at like one password seven point one on iOS. So it would either okay. be eight or maybe like a seven point two or something. But yep, I'll take it whenever they send it out. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I we may be unlucky and they have like a separate small pool of beta testers for that. You never know. Yeah. Talk to me after the show, because I have a contact there. Will do. <laughs> <laughs> so what else is new, you guys? Well, we got some new App Store review guidelines. Well, we had them in, in uh, June here, but... Yeah, it's, they always sneak these in. You know, the dub dub keynote goes up, and then the developer portal goes down. Sometimes the Apple Store goes down when they actually made new hardware. Uh, and then... Things come back up and people are feverishly like searching for the betas and no one ever goes back and looks at the guidelines. But they they change right right after the keynote every year, it seems like. Um, so are there any specific new guidelines that stood out to you, Sam? We kind of already talked about the trial stuff, trials being kind of blessed in a recent episode. But other than that, is there something that sticks out? Uh, see some of this data security stuff stands out a little bit. I guess that's a little bit along the lines of what they implemented in Europe and probably not that probably doesn't cover what was done in California recently. I imagine there's quite a bit of overlap there. Yeah, they they added a requirement that third party social networks must include a mechanism to revoke your credentials and get rid of like data access. Uh, So that's a new rule. Uh, if you serve ads, which is kind of important to me, you need to be able to tell the users what what data of theirs you're using to uh, target ads toward them. Towards them, um, so that's just kind of interesting, and we'll we'll talk about that stuff a little bit more. I think when we talk about a new law that California just passed. Um, but a couple other interesting rules to me were uh, Apple has has said that they're not cool with Facebook's uh, update text always being the same. <laughs> <laughs> Essentially. Um, I mean, they, they said it, they didn't say it that way. They said the re- what's new section of your app has to actually. actually have new features when new features are released, which could be hard to figure out like how that works. If you're like AB testing features and, and stuff like that. So, which we know that Facebook heavily does well and i think that's probably a best practice but i I guess the question is like how are you gonna how well is apple going to enforce it 
much less like how well can you actually enforce it. So that might be a, a tricky one. Um, yeah, I'm not sure what kind of tools they would have to compare features. I think it will probably be driven more by uh, customer feedback, user feedback. Well, but users already don't like that. I mean, what new feedback could they have? <laughs> we still don't like your stupid rule or update text or whatever. I mean, they did say they're cool with like bug fix releases. Yeah. Just saying bug fixes and performance enhancements or whatever. That's still fine. But it's like you, you rip off some feature from some other app and it's a big feature. You got to say it, I guess. And I suppose even Facebook, who A-B tests everything, eventually they turn stuff on for everybody. And that's something that could be in their release notes. Yeah. Although, Although it may not be tied to an app release. Yeah, I mean, it might just it's, be totally dark launched and then yeah. turned on at a later date. Uh, I've been in app situations where that was fairly normal to do. That's going to be a tougher one. I imagine Apple doesn't really like people A-B testing anyway. Yeah, that's probably, it's partially against some of the rules anyways, cause, because they basically say you need to like let them know about all the features you have or advertise what your features are, and you can't like have... They, they call it, they just say, like, you can't have code, quote, end quote, that, like, changes things in your app. But, you know, with all the A-B testing and people who have, like, the, you know, all the WebKit-based apps or even some of the, like, React Native-style stuff, it's hard to force that one, too. Well, they came, they, they put down the ban hammer on some of those people that were doing that kind of stuff. Yeah. At least... SDK, people that were incorporating those SDKs. Yeah. So you brought up earlier, Sam, the uh, some of the new privacy-based stuff. And, you know, I talked about my GDPR headaches uh, for a couple episodes earlier this year. Um, but it sounds like now if you're in an app, if, you, if your business is an app in the United States, uh, you may have some more stuff to worry about soon because... I guess California proposed a new law and in a week they it, it they finalized it or whatever. It was signed into law. So I think GDPR and Europe, um, they took years to like finalize, you know, the contents of the law. But California's like, no, we got this. One week, we're good. Um <laughs> and you know, as soon as it was signed into law I'm, people are still kind of trying to figure out what it is. It's called like the California Data Privacy Act of 2018 or something like that. And people are still, A, trying to figure out what's in it, but there's already been articles or businesses have come out, like Google said, oh, there's unintended consequences of this law. Um, but one of the things in the law was was that kind of like that new guideline that Apple added that says you need to disclose when you're sharing data with advertisers, you need to disclose how you're using it and all that kind of stuff. So be on the lookout in the next couple months, years. I think it goes into effect sometime in 2020. So maybe they may even like change some stuff by then. But uh, sounds like there's it's a 30 page law <laughs> that they they did in a week. So we're going to be discovering stuff and we're going to have to be implementing all this stuff pretty soon here. So it's kind of scary as a small business. I have a three person company, but I think according to the California data privacy 
act of 2018 um, because I have 50,000 uh, or more consumers or devices, uh, I will have to like comply with all of the requirements of the law. So it should be should be fun figuring this thing out. Sounds like a whole new consulting opportunity. Yep. Not looking forward to it. I st- we still haven't fully grokked GDPR at this point. So we're we're doing our best to comply, but I can't wait until 49 other states, you know, pass other laws with differing rules. Just from the stuff I've read, it sounds like the, the law is written has like conflicting advice. Like they say they're not allowed to discriminate against people who choose not to share their data. But then it also says that you're allowed to like compensate users who do share their data, which sounds like, you know, behaving differently based on how much data you've shared and stuff like this. So, yeah, there's going to be a lot of stuff to figure out with this law. So have it have it on your radar if you're a if you're an app business in the U.S. or if you're a consultant, you know, just have that on your list of things to tell your client, hey, have you have you looked into this new law? Uh, we might have to change some stuff how we're doing things. We might need to, you know, offer this feature or that feature. So another one of those those fun things to figure out is people doing business in this area yeah i can't wait (laughs) you sound pretty excited (laughs) i'm sure you can't wait oh yeah and on top of having to you know figure out this whole metal thing (laughs) we now get to figure this this new consumer privacy act thing out so so you got one guy doing metal one guy doing privacy stuff and then (laughs) what's the other guy doing i mean come on (laughs) yeah we should have this figured out right yeah do at least one more thing so did you guys catch well i'm sure you did catch but the uh whole i don't know what you call it feather ruffling or just or chest thumping about why react native isn't so good for us anymore and wait it was ever good for us (laughs) no i don't think so but i bet there were a lot of ios developers going yeah we told you so with a little chest thump so this was a uh, Airbnb article, and it's a very long blog post, well, set of blog posts, but very well thought out, very well done. I can't say that I totally agree with their indecision, only because they they went into something that it was a totally immature product. They knew it was going to be immature. If they didn't know that, then they shouldn't have ever even made that decision in the first place. But they stuck it out. They became this kind of pillar in the React Native community, and people could point to them as an example and say, look, this this great, awesome company is doing that. We should do that too. Yeah, whole um, cargo cult kind of thing there. But then they came back and said, well, you know what? After two years, we don't like it so much anymore. So did you catch that article? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think it uh, showed up in pretty much all of the newsletters, and it made the rounds. Um, it's not too unexpected, and, and you know, we, there's reactions to that as well. Ashboro posted his reaction, and I think you know, there's still the the difference of how you're using it, you know, what kind of culture your company has, and what kind of skill sets you have internally. Um, you know, we've done a little bit at our company with react native it's a 
little bit of a pain for us because we don't have a lot of web JavaScript developers. We have a lot of native developers, so it's it's a completely different tool set. And it's still not at 1.0, so um, it's still changing fairly rapidly. So for our clients, you know, we finish something for our client, they come back a few months later. You know, just the act of trying to get it to build again can take time. Yeah, I do find it interesting that they kind of complain about the lack of maturity in tools and that they had to write a lot of their own things. And then you have, on the flip side, the artsy people going, we love the lack of maturity in tools. We can write our own tools. Yeah. And our tools are awesome. Yeah. It's not generally something I would ever recommend to someone, like, find some immature platform and write your own tools on top of it. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely better, more mission-critical things you can probably do. Well, if you read through all five parts of the Airbnb article, you know, even going back to native, they they wrote a lot of their own frameworks. So it's not, arguably not that different. Um, and I think it comes back to, you know, where their skill set and comfort is. Personally, I, you know, we're already beholden to Google and Apple. Uh, do we really want a middleman uh, that we have to deal with as well, because we can't get away from also dealing with Google and Apple. It's not like React Native takes care of all that for us. Yeah, it's definitely not a not a silver bullet to get cross-platform by any stretch. And just the evolution that it has to go through. Yeah. And there's a lot of good ideas in there. Um, I just would like to see that be more of a first-class solution as opposed to uh, a, a wrapper around what's already there, around native. Um, you know, we might see something like that with Marzipan, um, where we get some of the benefits of of React Native component style development. Uh, we just won't get cross-platform. And React Native wasn't intended to be cross-platform in terms of write once, run anywhere. It was intended to be um, learn once, write everywhere. Yeah, here's a framework you can use over here and over here and over yeah. here. So the skill set is transferable, but not necessarily the code. Yeah, but arguably the skill set is not even that transferable if you're trying to figure out how one platform works versus another. Yeah, I would think when you're doing React Native stuff, it's figuring out the API that is the hard part, not like, how do I write JavaScript? I mean, maybe some of the tooling is familiar if you're like familiar with the kind of the server-side JavaScript and the client-side JavaScript stuff. Maybe they have tools in common, but... Well, the hard part is not writing JavaScript. The hard part no. is writing writing good JavaScript. Well, that's a whole different story. I think that's impossible, but... <laughs> yeah. I wish, I wish it wasn't. Um, the important takeaway is React Native is dead. <laughs> now, now we start looking at Flutter as the uh, silver bullet for cross-platform. That's a Google solution. Nobody loves loves those. Uh, when I was at DubDub, uh, I was talking to some people, and there there were there were some people who were actually pretty impressed with with Flutter as a as a solution that accomplishes the goal of writing 
you know, a single code base across multiple mobile platforms in a better way than React Native does. Overall, it still has its quirks too. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. And it's still a very early product. Um, yeah, although I think they have a target for a 1.0 release later this year, though. It's in yeah, beta, it's... like a later set of betas, isn't it? Well, React Native's yeah. still less than 1.02, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, they both they both are. Yeah, I, it <laughs> sounds like you know, at least from Google's perspective, Flutter's getting close to being a a 1.0. Where I don't know if uh, I don't think React Native is approaching 1.0 that fast. Flutter is at currently at release preview one, so wherever that falls in the alpha, beta, whatever. Isn't that just like a release candidate, or is that like a release candidate candidate? <laughs> <laughs> it's a preview to the release candidate, I guess. Okay. <laughs> it's it's definitely the non-committal. Let's uh let's maybe have lunch someday sometime kind of release versioning <laughs> so react native having had according to the github around 271 releases so far it is now on 0 0.56 release candidate four <laughs> say that again <laughs> 0 0.56 release candidate four so it's just a release candidate for the, for the 0.56 yeah. version. Yeah, okay. not for one. Oh. Just to be clear. All right. Yeah. So again, you know, with the if if you take that versioning to heart, they're still introducing breaking changes on a regular, fairly regular basis. On anyone who's dealt with it or you know read these blog articles will tell you 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 write a React Native app and try to go back to it three months later. Good luck. Yeah. Unless you've been like keeping up with every single yeah. change they do. Yeah. If if you're shop like artsy and you're building your own tools and you're updating on a regular basis and it's just kind of part of your process, you know, the, you're probably pulling in these changes and, you know, it's it's not that big of a deal because you're dealing with it every day or every week um, versus, you know, you try and lock it in on a version and then you don't update for a few months and then everything breaks so it, it kind of so, depends on on how the shop works i think we should clarify a little bit that's 0 0.56 i'm sorry zero. oh yeah, yeah. that's yeah. a big difference now okay uh <laughs> i'm shutting it down i'm gonna go start on react native now that's right. well <laughs> shut it down <laughs> because because a few years ago it was like 0 0.14 and i thought it was kind of strange yeah. that they're at 0 0.5 it's just Facebook like book numbering. I don't, but no, it's, yeah, it's, it's what do you mean? still semantic versioning. It's just, yeah, it's they're, yeah. they're on a slow path to the fact out. that it's not one point something, you know, tells you all that you need to know. Yeah. What blows my mind is they have 233 opening open pull requests right now. And, is, and uh, 672 any, issues that are open. Yeah. Any big yeah. project's going to have that kind of numbers, aren't they, on GitHub? I guess. I mean, but that's a lot of pull requests that are open. That's a lot of people contributing, yeah. which is great. But that's a big backlog. I mean, that 233rd pull request, who knows how old that is. I mean, I'm too lazy to scroll back, but it could be against a version that's three months old at this point. 
and it's it's wasted work. So the oldest one on that list is from 2015. Uh, <laughs> I think it's safe to close that one. But there's only one from 2015. And there's another one from 2016. Fix two bugs. Yeah, but there's one. Uh, but that import failed, so. so. Yeah. It, it could use a little cleaning up. And there may be a lack of hygiene there for the project, but I don't know. Move fast. That. Yeah. Right? Move fast and break stuff. Stuff being the PG version of the word. So we're probably, what, a year away from Facebook coming out with something to replace React Native? And two years away from 1.0, given their current trajectory. Yeah, but that'll end up having a life of its own and go off in a different direction. <laughs> All right. So I think we've uh, beaten that horse, dead horse enough. Um, I think the moral of the story is buyer beware. Always, always beware. Even even with like the Scotland native stuff that I've been enjoying lately. I'm going into it knowing that it's very early days and things can change and I have to roll with that. You could easily say that about Swift as well. And, you know, version one and two <laughs> and three, it was, uh, I did say that, didn't I? You did. And you're still saying that. <laughs> yep. Um, but I think a lot of people have, have, uh, felt like that some of the pain has been worth it. Especially if you skip the first one or two versions, um, but I liked uh, version two. I kind of miss it. it <laughs> <laughs> Swift two was good. Yeah, it was pretty decent syntax, and then they kind of complicated things a little bit with with three. Yeah, what you was it? Curried functions that you really liked? Just the the general format of the syntax. I like. I enjoyed that a little bit more. Yeah, you know, they. They changed was it was it the great things. renaming that you were not a fan of then? Was that, that two to three? That was in two to three, I believe. But it didn't that didn't bother me so much. Just um, you know, it it was a maturity thing. Like they figured out that oh, we can't just hide this thing anymore. We have to actually expose this this little knob because in some cases, or or it's going to cause trouble and make Swift not compatible or usable by everyone. Uh, Things like adding, having to think about whether the closure that you're going to take as a method parameter is escaping or non-escaping. To me, that if I was a student learning to code, which is kind of this positioning that Swift is put under, if you, as soon as you say, oh, you have to declare that as non-escaping, you're going to be like, oh, what? Yeah. Well, don't they try to... Do smart defaults essentially? I mean, <laughs> well, they've gone back and forth on some of the defaults because of you know trying to figure out what what's the what most is. Con yeah, yeah, yeah. But like <laughs> in Sam's example, the whole escaping versus non-escaping—that's in many ways a compiler optimization. That's that's giving the compiler a hint about what it can do to make your code faster. Yeah. And I, you're, you're right. It's it's not a, a junior developer or somebody who's learning Swift for the first time. It's not 
it's not a trivial concept and you know having to think about compiler hints essentially um it is a lot of overhead yeah yeah you would never see that in quick basic for instance yeah well yeah it's interesting that like swift is supposed to be a beginner language but it's also supposed to be like a systems level language and it's supposed to be like a tool for you know advanced apps or whatever so it's it's trying to be everything and that might be part of the complication I, i'm kind of scared about so uh, apple opened up their uh their summer camps and my my son is going to the uh programming sphero and swift camp at the local apple store and i'm just worried that you know playgrounds is going to work much less you know he's going to understand all the swift stuff so <laughs> yeah, it'll be interesting I'll, yeah I mean, I've had my kids do several of the playgrounds, uh, Swift playgrounds, and um, my oldest, I he did some Objective-C several years ago, and then Swift came out, and for him, he definitely felt like Swift was more um, learnable than Objective-C. Objective-C had a lot of conceptual overhead as well, uh, you know, just the header files alone, but you know, square brackets and sometimes there's at signs, sometimes there's not. It's there's there's a lot of uh, a lot of baggage there because well, it's a yeah. mix of languages. <laughs> so so here's my first world problem dilemma, I don't, and maybe you guys have a solution for this. Um, so my son was interested in Swift. He was he done you know the hour code stuff. He had his iPad Mini and he had Playgrounds. He was tinkering around with that. And then for his birthday, he wanted a phone. So we got got him a phone, which does not have playgrounds on it. And, uh, you know, the iPad got handed down to a younger sibling and all that stuff. So uh, we have the family sharing on. And I got this request the other day that was like this app that was like, learn programming in JavaScript. <laughs> and that's like not how I want him to learn how to program. <laughs> Yeah, definitely do so, Lua, Lua instead of JavaScript. Do they have some Lua ones? Maybe I could look for Lua ones that work on the phone. Or uh, maybe I just need to dedicate a test device that he can use whenever he needs to. There but, are there are several Lua-based game programming apps for uh, iOS. Um, but, I mean, it, it's, it's just another ECMAScript. So, in a lot of ways, it's not that different from JavaScript. Lua? Yeah, isn't it ECMAScript based? No, I thought it was its own little thing. Hmm. We'll have to fact check that. <laughs> All the syntax examples I remember was much different. It didn't even look like it was an algo based thing. Yeah, it looks different from like JavaScript to me. Like I've seen the little Lua I've seen was like doing World of Warcraft add-ons, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Um, all right. I must be thinking of something else. Well, it looks, yeah, it looks kind of Python-y. It has like the, the control flow by indentation stuff going on. <laughs> oh my. <laughs> but it's, it's, it doesn't really have classes from what I remember. Yeah. Maybe not a bunch of functions. All the samples I'm looking at are. So any, any of our listeners who are Lua fans write in and let us know what we've gotten wrong <laughs> <laughs> yeah 
and don't take take my word on any of it. Clearly, I, I don't know. Um, all I know is but it's common in, in game so. programming. Um, yeah, my, it's common for scripting stuff for sure. Yeah, my youngest uh, is interested in Lua because Roblox is uses Lua for programming. But yeah, any I, I guess my thought was like, what can I do so my son doesn't learn JavaScript? <laughs> <laughs> so other than other than getting uh, you know a spare iPad test device, Lua Lua sounds like it's a good good alternative. There might be some good iPhone apps for that. Any other ideas from you guys? Yeah, you could. I wouldn't say get him a Chromebook or something. Well, that's just going to be more JavaScript. Well, it could be Java can, in there, but that would scare well, him. Well, you could run Android Studio on that. <laughs> yeah, if you get a beefed up Chromebook. <laughs> yeah, there's just some. I've heard that stuff's not working very well yet either, though. Nah. Yeah, we don't want Android Studio either. All right, well, I'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah. I'll report back after that camp. Maybe we'll see how that goes. Yeah, there's uh, Scratch as a popular um, starting point, but I think that's typically JavaScript under the hood. I believe it's more PC based or Mac based, not not so much uh, iPad based. Oh yeah, yeah. It's it's I I think there are lots of apps like Scratch on the iPad. Scratch is one of those like yeah, it's like the hour code like. Yes, very much. You have like those that. little block-based programming things. Yeah. The actual MIT Scratch page uh, had me allow the the Flash plugin to work, so <laughs> we'll we'll be passing on that one. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's about all the time we have for this week. You guys want to tell us where we can find you on the internet? You can find me at AJ Robinson on Twitter. I'm at Alex Argo. And I'm at Sam Quarter. The podcast is at Shared Inst. And if you want to tell us how dumb we are with our Lua musings, you can find us in the chat rooms on Slack at chat.sharedinstance.com. Man, that's harsh. <laughs> <laughs> you can you can delightfully correct us too, or nicely nicely correct us. <laughs> Must follow the Apple guidelines for app store reviews.